Hey kids, it's time for pizza and pop culture with our Rogues Gallery of Talent. Coming at you on location from Eastside Pizza in Wallingford, Connecticut. Now serving up geek pizza with extra cheese. We're back at Eastside Pizza for episode two of Pizza and Pop Culture. This is going to be our At the Cinema day. We're going to do an hour of At the Cinema. We're going to break it into three segments, 20 minutes apiece. Um, one is going to be about CGI versus practical effects. Um, the next one is going to be about the theater-going experience these days. And then we're going to wrap it up with our favorite Quentin Tarantino movies, since uh, he had a new one out this year, and he's up for an Oscar, and it's around that time. So that's what we're going to do. Sounds like a plan. Ooh. Joining me, that voice from... Hi, I'm Peter Bradley. The nice voice from you. the abyss. And I will be Paul Harriet. And I'm Batman. Oh, that was a good Michael Keaton. That's Alan Spaulding, everyone. You know the lovely, the graceful, the powerful Alan Spaulding. All right, so let's dive in. Let's do about 20 minutes or so on this topic. And just um, for a minute, can I say, we have George. Yes, George is George. E eating right behind us. At Eastside Pizza. Eastside yeah. Pizza, having a delicious uh, small pepperoni pizza. So if this is your, your first time listening to this um, quartet of madness. Which it could be. Which it could be. It might even be a tritet. <laughs> that sounds sexual. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. I'm aroused. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> we're recording these live at Eastside Pizza, so you're going to hear noises, banging, people, yelling, <laughs> screaming, fist fights, whatever. I'd like to point out something about Eastside Pizza. They're located at 827 East Center Street in Wallingford, Connecticut. And if you want to place an order, long distance, I don't know who delivers, 203-265-4545. And just so you know, an important tip from Eastside Pizza. The sauce is the boss. Consuming raw or undercooked meats, poultry, seafood, shellfish, or eggs may increase your risk of foodborne illness. So don't do that shit, motherfucker. You might end up with loose stool. So or you might like to. The, the inspiration for this podcast came from uh, Angelo himself, uh, one of the owners here. And um, it's because every time we come in here, um, we get into these pop culture discussions that go on for hours sometimes. And it's people walking in, customers that are already in here, with the staff. It's just, it's this free-for-all. Anger's and involved. It's just like coming to Cheers, except without the beer and with nothing but pizza Cats and yummy and goodness. Cats and dogs living together. Cats and dogs living together. So we decided to give this a go. We were going to talk about CGI versus practical effects. So what is CGI? That is a, that is a colloquial term for computer-generated imagery. Basically, it involves a lot, of, a lot of Koreans sitting in front of a computer and cranking out <laughs> Oh, easy, killer. I'm not. I, a lot of it's done in easy. Korea. A lot of it's done in India. Yeah, have you watched the credit rolls on these movies now? It's kind of funny when you see a running time of a feature and it says, like, two hours, 12 minutes. That's because 12 minutes is the credit roll. Yeah. Because they have tens of thousands of animators to credit. And that's not necessarily in a, in a uh, tentpole movie. I mean, yeah, sure, you, you expect to see an army of animators and, and CGI artists in a Marvel movie, but you, any given rom-com is gonna have tons of CGI artists as well because it's it's what Cheap. they're doing it's now. They're, they're filling in backgrounds and set pieces now with CGI. Yeah, so. th sometimes you know, even, even taking it, actors that weren't even in, in, in the same room at the same time and putting them together in the same shot. You know, just because 
that's that's how it's done now. It's not it's not no, so I much. I want you to look at that tennis ball and just just read off that cue card, and then I'm going to cut it together with take 35 from the other guy. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's just it's, it's that's how it's done now. A lot of filmmaking is not the art of staging a scene anymore. It's blocking actors. It's blocking stuff. actors, and so if I could just reel this in a little bit. We're all of the age group where we grew up with practical effects. We were all very young the first time we saw Jaws and then Star Wars blew our freaking doors in. Yep. But it even goes back as far as 2001. I think if you look at 2001. The movie. The movie. It looks as real today as ever. And Pete and I actually have the, the pleasure of knowing uh, Doug Trumbull personally, who did the effects on that movie. He's yep. a great guy. And maybe if this podcast works out we can get him as a guest he's a lot of fun to talk to he's a little bit doc brown and a little bit albert einstein and a little bit marty scorsese <laughs> but um doug is a big proponent of still using practical effects to this day he can't stand over cgi he uses computers to composite but not to create and there's something to be said for that absolutely i mean Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, computers make the job easier in in certain capacities. I mean, like, uh, I, out now is 1917, which looks like it's one long continuous shot. There's no way in creation that you could shoot a war movie in one shot over a two hour, over a a, a two hour sequence. Yeah, but, meaning that one camera follows all the action through all the scenes. Right, and I mean, and obviously in 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 real life terms, there are there are edit points that you just that are completely invisible and that's yeah. the sort of that's the sort of, uh, of, of of artistry that you can't do without the the use of a computer however if you want to see an example of that artistry in action you should go to your theaters and go see 1917, 1917. or the rope the, yeah well, Hitchcock, rope. Ah, yeah. yeah there you go yeah rope which technically does have seven edits in it yeah. but but yeah that that is one movie done in one take well, we should maybe tell, uh, explain to the, um, the youngins who might the be listening, the, the, the millennials and whatnot, that back when everything was shot on film, <laughs> you'd have a, a mag reel, a magazine reel of film that lasted approximately 10 minutes. So, so at the end of the 10 minutes, you had to stop the camera, take the magazine off, and load a new one. Right. You couldn't roll ad infinitum. Correct. The trick Alfred Hitchcock did to make this look like one continuous take was he would push the camera into someone's back. He'd fill the, fill the lens with the person's suit jacket or the wall or what have you, swap the, the film reel out, and then pull back and continue. And it made a seamless experience, which in 1940 was he revolutionary. Plan, he had to plan that. Oh, the extensive now, planning. Because aside from you know, the, 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 the constraints of a film of reel being X number of minutes, that film of real cost a lot of money. It's not like you just go buy a $30 card. Right. That's expensive. It's expensive for the people. So you had to plan that Exactly. Shot. Exactly. Right. And, you know, you had to be careful because if you shook the camera, moved the camera when you're changing, taking, changing the magazine, gotcha. yeah. you don't get that seamless experience. So it was, uh, you know, it was, I it love that movie. A lot of, it, was, it, was a, it was a difficult thing to do and it's, it's, it was something that had to be done practically and had to be done in the camera. And you really had to know what you were doing. Whereas nowadays, fix it in post. Fix it in post. <laughs> and yes, the the computer does make some things easier. But in other cases, actually having something on the set, like The Mandalorian, is really popular. Baby Yoda, 
looks so amazing and everybody loves him because he's an actual puppet. Yes, they, 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 they use computers to take out the puppeteers, but Baby Yoda's physically there, which is why he, he, he looks so compelling. It, uh, I'm a big fan of practical effects. We grew up in the time when, I mean, when you look at the genius at Industrial Light and Magic, when they did the original Star Wars, when they invented those motion control rigs. And the concept of just moving the camera and, and versus moving the models. Correct. Yeah, things yeah. had weight. They actually, you know. Physics. You know, We've talked about this before. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. At, at infinitum, you know, but, you know, models had, had physics. Models had weight. Uh, a, a, a model of a building looks real because of all the little details, the imperfections in the paint. It's, it's something that you know, real, not, not that, I, w I want to say real, real artisans did, but still, I mean, obviously, yes, making something a computer takes a great deal of talent to do, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not knocking that whatsoever. I, I like to point at the Peter Jackson set of trilogies as an example of what can possibly, what could possibly go wrong, and here's what can go wrong. The Lord of the Rings was done almost all practically. They used forced perspective, they used all kinds of tricks, and it looked phenomenal. And, and you had, the characters were able to interact with each other, you know, you had Gandalf talking to the little hobbits, but that was all done with forced perspective. Then he gets, you know, the chance to make the hobbit, and, and yeah. he decides to use CGI instead. Yeah. And what you get is a freaking cartoon. Yeah, he didn't it have looks the time. like a cartoon. He didn't have the time, right. so he, he, he did CGI, and unless you have... I mean, look at those acres barrels. And acres of time. Look at those yeah. barrels in that in that scene where the barrels are going down the, the the river. The river. They're bouncing all over the place. As you were saying, Pete, the physics get the lost. Physics get yeah. lost when it, they're in the tree and the th yeah. Even though yeah. We're, we don't, I mean, I'm I, me and Math don't get along at all, Paul. <laughs> Same I here. Mean, Not I, at all. I, huh. I I just don't understand physics and and all that stuff from a scientific standpoint. But each one of us understands the nature of things, and when we see something that doesn't seem right, whether we understand it on a direct cognitive level or whether it's just an intuition or a feeling we know something's wrong i know what you're yeah. trying so to you say watch yeah. those barrels the way they bounce around ridiculously you're like okay this they is look almost weightless comical it's it's my math equation because i don't do math either but my math what did i just say mass equals physics or physics equals physics mass. equals math Mass, M-A-S-S. -S. Oh, I thought you said uh, physics equals math. No, mass, M-A-S-S. <laughs> you, know you know what because you are? Because it, it seems like it, when these CGI artists forget that things have weight and volume, and right. they have things like the Enterprise E in one of those old last few Star Treks doing these, you know, turn on a dime pinpoint. <laughs> that thing should take, you know, it should take a big wide berth and come back around. Right, it shouldn't go whip, you know, whip around. You're a mathematician. chicken. I'm a mathematician. <laughs> Thank you. One foot should be in reality when they... Right. And yeah. as much as I don't really like the Jar Jar Abrams Star Trek movies, the one thing he did do, and he did this with the Star Wars, is he built the damn models, and he built practical sets, and it works. When I like the example I use in the Star Trek 2009 when they come out of warp into the debris field. Yes. That, looks, that, that ship feels big yes, it and feels heavy. Right. It, 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 that was so well done. And it, it looked amazing. It's something that they say over at Red Letter Media, which, hello. <laughs> you might not have noticed, but your brain but did. Your, but your it's brain like, did. But your brain notices. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, so people can, people can spot it. And unfortunately, that's, that's the big trend. Mainly it's because they don't have the time because producers think that things are easy to do. There's, there's a, a documentary um, 
called Life After Pi, which was done about the Life of Pi movie. And Rhythm and Hughes actually went bankrupt producing that movie, even though they got nominated for Best Visual Effects. So while they're up there winning the Oscar, the they're company had jobs. gone under because the producers basically thought that, oh, it's done in a computer. It's easy. So, uh, so p- the companies have to, do, have to put bids on jobs before the project is even finished being right. written. Right. And they don't have the time to actually give, give these computer effects their due. You know what? Doug Tubach would be another guy to get on. He lives here in Connecticut, works for Industrial Light and Magic. And he talked a lot about that going as far back as Starship Troopers and how some of the scenes got bungled and didn't blend together, right? Because they don't use just one effects house either. No. So you've got to try to get these, you know, you've got 10, 20 effects houses and you've got to try to unify the look and make sure everybody's on the same page. Across people who are doing the artistry. And there are many movies where you'll see scene to scene or shot to shot. You'll go, that looks great. Why'd that look like shit on the very next cut? Yeah. Because two different companies did it. Whereas if you shot this with a model, you actually had a a physical puppet. You have an actual miniature. You have an actual model. It's going to look it's going to look like it's physically there because it's physically That's why the Muppets never look fake. <laughs> and don't forget, we come from the old school beast from 2000 Fathoms, the giant behemoth, even King Kong. You know, the Maquette, the original. Yeah. Long, we, you know, we knew those were only seven feet, you know, seven oh, inches Oh, and you see the and, fingerprints all over yeah. King Kong, but it didn't Stop matter because, all that yeah. stuff. because if you're telling a compelling enough story, you don't need that. Yeah. Today, and, it's the wild An effect of any kind can look, can look absolutely fake as hell. I, I, I argue that, that you look me in the eye and tell me that Roddy McDowell actually looks like a monkey in Planet of the Apes. He no, does. He, he looks more he's like not a monkey, monkey without he's, it. No, he's, he's That's not, an actor? That is an actor. Holy shit. No, but aside from all of, the, all of that stuff, technology can fail. It can, there can be hiccups. And you can't, as you said, Pete, there's no time to fix it. Here's a great example that most people may not know about. Jurassic Park, the original Jurassic Park, in the scene where the T-Rex um, finally confronts the Velociraptors in yep, the, at the end. At the end, there's a scene where the T-Rex picks up one of the Velociraptors, and there is a failure in the render. There's a frame miss, it's yeah, missing. It's missing for a frame. Yeah. Yeah. Where the, the T-Rex is missing from the, the Velociraptor is. I'm sorry, yeah. the Velociraptor is missing from the mouth of the T-Rex. You can't see it because of the motion blur and the action and stuff like that. But if you frame by framed it. It All of a sudden, his mouth is empty for one frame yeah. or one, right. two frames or something. Yeah. And that's a technical thing where they're rendering out the... the, the uh, Under deadline. Under deadline. Couldn't fix it. And also, the, 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 the CGI can go awry in other places. We were talking earlier about uh, de-aging. Oh, yeah. About de-aging. Sometimes it works. The newest sometimes trend. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. It's... You know, it, or, or putting these dead actors back in the movies. Yeah, we got you know Peter Cushing showing up in in in, in Rogue, Rogue One. In Rogue One, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Carrie Fisher showing up in the same movie, even though she was still alive at the time. It's it ugh, it looked dreadful. Al Pacino. Yeah, Al Pacino or, or Robert De Niro, or Joe Pesci in The Irishman. It it sometimes it, it takes you out of it. Like uh, Angela, one of our other one of our other uh, our other uh, speakers. Hosts, yeah. Yeah, one of Who's our other hosts here, who runs Eatside's Pizza, um, was mentioning that that there's that there's a scene in The Irishman where he's doing the De Niro stomp on somebody, and the de aging is so is so bad that it takes you right out of the movie. Well, it's uh, because you have a 77 year old guy who's not, you know, he's got that 77 year old guy thing. Instead of bringing body. in a body double, 
in replacing the face digitally, they just used De Niro. Yeah, but hold it. Now, there was another scene, too, which Angelo, I think, when he was bowling. Did you see him bowling? When he was supposed to be younger? Yeah. He, he couldn't even hold the ball up. He was like... G -g 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 -g. <laughs> yeah, that's where you got to yeah. use a body double. But, yeah. You know, so, even the Marvel movies lately, I think... You know, early on, there'd be one Marvel movie a year or two, but they'd be, you know, so far apart. Now, it, toward the end of that run, they're cranking them out. Every two or three months, you got a new one. And you could, the effects were slipping like... Yeah, I was appalled at the Black Panther. I, you couldn't get any more phony visually than that movie. That fight it. at the end in the train thing, it yeah, looks so fake. It looked like a video game. They absolutely the, wrecked it. The effects in the Spider-Man 2002, Sam Raimi, looked better than 2018 Black Panther did. It was just awful. Just because you can do it doesn't mean because, you should do because it. Because it became a factory Another at the end. Another Jurassic Park yeah. reference. Just because you can do it. Right. So I'd like to throw out an alternative in the, in the time we have left is one way that I do find great advancement and great benefit to doing lots of stuff in CGI is in the gaming industry. Ah. I I don't I cannot say that I'm a big computer gamer, <laughs> but uh, 15, 16, 17 years ago, I had some surgery and I started playing World of Warcraft. It was just after World of Warcraft came out. And you know, you play your game and it's a great massive, you know, it's an MMORPG, uh, multiplayer online role playing game. So, so I think you should get a shot for that. The 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 graphics. Um, I'll put some links out onto one of our pages if you haven't seen it. Most people have, though. The graphics in the game are game graphics. You know, they're two-dimensional. But to inspire people, to, to, to reach the imagination of the people who are longtime gamers, picking up War Warcraft into World of Warcraft, League of Legends, they create cinematics. These cinematics oh, yeah. are I've seen those. fantastic. They are so well-produced. They are so well. They are pushing... You know the quality level, the the music, the acting, but the I, story. But the difference there is it's a couple of minutes, not a feature. Well, no, no, no. It's true. It, there's a whole lot of differences. Right. But my point is, is that's a great use of the CGI, the, the mm. computer world, because you know we don't have giant trolls and stuff anymore that we can do anymore. Right? Have exactly. you not been to New York? I have been to New York. <laughs> You know, I get what you're saying, and I, you know, it's true that I mean, CGI allows you to do things that could never be done before. Let's face it; it just seems like, in the effort to cash in, get something in the, it, you know, get a tent pole out by the middle of summer or what have you, that the quality tends to be inconsistent. You know, yeah, exactly. Early on, everything looked amazing, but now it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a crapshoot. So, we got about a minute left. Let's go around the table real quick and final thoughts on this my final thought would be if you pick up a blu-ray and they have the extras on there like for joker you watch to where they have the parts to where you could see where cgi gets put in where it enhanced the cityscapes where it and, does yeah. and yeah. it's yeah. some of that was quite i said oh shit that was a cgi there yeah so it does work in a lot of places and so if you get a blu-ray watch the extras Oh yeah, I, I think that, that that CGI is a mixed bag. It, it, when it's used right, and it and it can it can make absolute magic happen. But unfortunately, you've got to have the the time and budget and understanding producers to make it happen. I, I agree with you. I mean, there's nothing really more to say. It's got to be a nice balance. It's got to be a blend. It's got to enhance. It's got to add to the story. It, it shouldn't take away from the story. It, it's got to everything that it, we watch in a movie 
CGI or otherwise, needs to add to the total storytelling experience. I agree. And I'd just like to wrap it up by saying that CGI is wonderful. And starting with Jurassic Park, it gave us a whole new look at things. But never forget the geniuses back at ILM, people like Doug Trumbull, that, that had to you know, use their ingenuity with yeah. tangible, Trump, practical Smith. items and figure out how to make that Star Destroyer chase that blockade runner. How to make Kier Delay go through that weird portal yeah, in 2001. Make up artist CGI. Exactly. Hi. So, hey, you know, right after this, we're thinking about going to the theater to see 1917. But, um, you know, if there's too many people in there, I might bag out because, you know, the theater going experience is not what it once was. That's for sure. And here to rant. Is Angelo <coughs> and go? Okay, so yes. Yeah. I want to thank you. Yes, for that Absolutely delicious roast beef grinder. Oh, I had roast had. beef too today. Yeah, roast, it was they great. They make their own roast beef here at Eastside oh, Pizza. So good. Thank yeah. you, Angelo. Oh, you're quite and, welcome. And I just want to say that you know what we say is true. Like that, this is the cheers <laughs> of pizza. And if you're in Connecticut, and if you're in the um, New Haven County, Central Connecticut area, and you can come down here and hang out, do it. <laughs> Do it. There's always stimulating. Every day I'm in here, there's stimulating conversation. All right, let's try this again. And go. Okay. So <laughs> the four of us here are pretty much around the same age, and we all have the same kind of experiences going Angry the old men. Yes, angry old men. <laughs> and we all can kind of remember where we saw The Dark Crystal, or we saw The Wrath of Khan, or whatever movie theater it was. No, I Center sat on Cinema. the floor for Wrath of Khan. I went with you. Yeah. And they oversold it, and I sat in the aisle. A lot of people did. And the one film I do remember quite a bit was Return of the Jedi. That was the first film. We, we I, stood in line. We, that was the first movie that we actually <laughs> stood in line and waited. All like, day. All we went there the, first we, thing in the morning. We, I, no, I, well, I think you might have been there first. But I, had to, I went to school first, and then we, cut we came back afterwards. Me you guys and Mark school. and Colin cut yeah. school, and we got our positions in line. We, were yeah. like, we got wow. in the newspaper. We were like seventh in line. Yep. But the problem was we were there so long, I actually read the novelization before I got in there. So I knew what was going to happen. He wants to rant. Let him rant. All right. So, so, so but we all kind of remember this stuff. And nowadays, you don't remember. It, the, it's not memorable anymore. It's more kind of like, are you serious? It's a generic experience. It's, 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 it's horrible. And I don't know how you guys feel about reclining seats. I hate them. It's not go, a theater-going go, experience go, rant, anymore. Go, go, <laughs> Start Wait a minute. yelling. Start yelling. So, What's bad about it? The picture or the people? Hang on. <laughs> Hang All of on. the above. So, once <laughs> James Bond Spectre came out, I'm like, oh, I'll finally get to see what everybody's talking about because I definitely do not. I hated my first experience with these seats. I went with a buddy of mine, and, you know, I look over to me about, you know, like maybe 20 minutes in the film, and, and I'm not somebody to call out somebody about their weight or you know, anything like that, but. The gentleman sitting next to me decided to lay down with his feet, with his legs up, not just his feet, his legs up, and he pulled his sh shirt up oh my. and just laid the nachos that he was eating right on his belly. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't even take my shirt off the beach. So In the container, or did he, like, stick him on, like, his nipples? <laughs> No, thankfully that did not he left happen. Him in the container? Okay. He left him in the container, but it's like 
I'm trying to watch James Bond, and I've got this gentleman next to me just doing that. And then the person opposite to my buddy was kind of doing the same thing in a sense. But I'm like, it's a theater. It is not your home. Yeah. Don't kind of treat it as such, and and everyone will have everybody will have a good time. It's true. I say that all the time. I yell at people. You know, this isn't your living room. They're talking. They're playing games on their phones. They're, and I think part of the problem you touched on it too is the. When we used to go to the movies, you got popcorn or candy and a soda. Yeah. Now, pizza, hot dogs, nachos. Hamburgers. Wine. Lobster. <laughs> like, you know, come on, man. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, it's some of these AMC places, they'll come and serve you. Yeah. You have a yeah. tray, and they come and wait on you. And there's remember a menu. When, and Remember when we went to see Godzilla versus the Butterfly or whatever it was, and the, the people in front <laughs> were using their phone? People whip out their mobile phone. And they're looking through their photos and whatnot. And, and it's bright yeah. in a dark theater. Well, Keith has got a great point about that and how your eye automatically just picks up. Well, yeah, you know. you're in production now, and then you too, Pete. So you know that the human eye will always go to the brightest, brightest spot, spot yeah, in, front of in front of you. So I, I had this happen at the first Jurassic World. This girl kept pulling her phone out. And, and uh, Jackie, I was with Jackie Zabushka uh, at the time. She kept saying, shut your phone off, shut your And any time characters would start talking... Out came the funk. It was during the action, whatever. As soon as people stopped to talk, which, oh my God, it, out comes the phone. So at the end of the movie, I just, she stood up to leave and I said, excuse me. And I said, you know the human eye will always go to the brightest spot on a screen or in a room or wherever, you know. It's just deliberately, it's just a subconscious thing. That's what it does. So if we're in a darkened theater and you pull your phone out, what the fuck do you think is going to happen? And she just looked at me with, you know, slack-jawed, and I looked at her boyfriend, I said, you want to give that one a shot, Sparky? He had nothing to say either. It's just, it's the lack of awareness of other people and other people's experience is astounding, which Angela is a big proponent of the uh, Alamo Draft House, and their policies are phenomenal. Their policy is great because, you know, you know, it's like, you, one and done. You're, you know, you Didn't pull they throw your Madonna phone, out. I don't know about Madonna, but if you if you're at an Alba Draft House and you pull your phone out, somebody will. You know, everybody's there to, to have the theater going experience, and they're there to see the movie. They're not there to talk on their phones or text or anything like that. You get thrown out. I pretty much you're not allowed to go back in there again. You're banned. You're is banned. It, you're banned from the theater. You're banned. You're banned from the theater. So Alamo Draft House is a theater? Is a, is a theater chain that started in Austin, Texas, and now there's, I think there's two in New York, one in Brooklyn and one in Yonkers. Yonkers. Yeah. And they have that policy, and it's like, that's it. You put your phone out, you're, you're done. Yeah, when we were going to, to the movies in the 70s and 80s, if people talk in the theater, they're either talking about the movie, asking what's going on, or they were yelling at the screen for something. Now it's like they don't even do that anymore. They're just talking amongst themselves. They're talking to their boss. They're talking to somebody on their phone. Let's let's find a dark spot where we can all hang out in the back of the theater and chill out uh, with nobody bothering us. I mean, you always had that element of kids that went there or got drunk and went there to throw things at the screen. When the movie started, why would you spend so much money to to not up and watch... A movie. I mean, if movie tickets are not exactly the cheapest thing on the planet. Yeah. Well, why would you sit there? What would you pay 12, 15, 20 some odd dollars to sit there and look at, at pictures on your phone? I don't Come get on, it. Peter, I rem- it's 2019. No kids pay for themselves anymore. <laughs> right. There Bobby you go. Yeah, good point. So you don't have to worry about remember, it. Remember, I don't know if you remember, but when we were younger, theaters had what was called a cry room. And that was for people who had a, a child who would get upset and cry or if they brought a baby to the theater they would go up 
up near the projection booth. It was a separate little room. I do remember that. With glassed-in rooms. They could still watch the movie up there. Right. But they took their crying kid or their ADD kid out of the theater and, and stopped distracting everyone. Yeah. And those have gone away. And they, maybe they should bring them back and all these kids with cell phones can go sit in there. Huh? It's really... I didn't know that that was even the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's... I've gotten to the point where if I'm going to buy tickets online, if I see the theater half full or more than half full, I will not go. I'll wait another day or two or a week because I, I just I can't take it anymore. I cannot take it anymore. My seven-year-old daughter can't take it anymore. <laughs> so right. Angelo, so are you saying that you do not like the reclining seats? Oh, I hate them. You do? They hurt I, my I back. hate them. They're, I it's, it's, the they don't theater. go back far enough. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just don't like them at all. It, it, it kind of takes away from the... It's, it's like, amazing. It's like the, they're, they're catering to people who want to still be at home to watch a movie. And you're not at home anymore. You're in the theater. There is one thing I like. There are two things I should say I like about them. And this is selfish of me. Okay. The first thing is... They're large. Well, yes. They're comfy. I like the fact that you can reserve your seat. Because yeah. I'm the kind of guy that wants to go to the movies. I get there early. I wait in line because I want to sit in the middle. And because I'm, again, 300 pounds of man love, I don't like it, you know, I go by myself usually, I put my hat down, and I'm hoping that people won't sit on either side because I need that space around me. Now, that's selfish, and it's wrong, and it's it completely not cool, but that's the way I like it. So I try to go to the movies at times when I know it's not going to be busy, and then some jackass half the time sits right next to me, and I want to punch him in the face. I operate the same way, but I'm only 185 pounds yeah, of man love. Yeah, you're only 185 <laughs> So, but the other thing I like, as Keith said, is that the seats are a little bit bigger. There's a little bit more room, yeah. a little bit more separation. So if somebody, and the other thing is, I am, I'm tall, so that in the regular theater, if somebody wants to squeeze by you, for me, it's very difficult to get out of their way. Well, well, or, I mean, in the past, and this is where I see the positives and the negatives of these new seating arrangements, when it was kind of flat, and you had those regular old bucket seats in there, Tall guy like you, I might sit. I'm short. I sit behind you. I gotta, I gotta crane my neck. I gotta look over the top. I can't see. Oh. But now, because they do auditorium style, and because there's so much space, now they have stadium style. Stadiums, Audi- right? Stadium style, which is even and, steeper. And the spacing between the rows in the seats themselves allow you to get a nice, clean yes. look at the you're, screen. You're, no one's hardly ever in front of you. So I have to say, I like that. Sorry. Okay. I, I'm not a fan. Some of the ones I went to a, an AMC in California, they had seat warmers. Oh, yeah. Ooh. I took. Avery I can understand that on the East Coast, but on the West Coast, right. it's usually warm there, isn't it? Yeah, but I got a bad back. Those things kill my back. So, yeah, I mean, it's to me, it's not so much the physical, um, the stat, you know, the seats and the the way it's structured. It's the people. It's society. That's what driving me nuts yeah man. it's the disrespect of people that go in there they want to use their phones they want to chat the other the other they're used to pausing a movie at home and jerking around and you know right the other thing about the theater going experience that i don't like anymore is maybe you guys will agree this like if you go to a cineplex and there's like 10 10 screens you know eight of them are playing avengers endgame and the other two are just showing something else i'm like well why and they put the something else's right in between the two avengers so the whole time you're trying to watch this courtroom drama, you're <laughs> through the right. walls. I mean, is that <laughs> uncut gems? That was, uh, we were like, what the hell's next door? Star Wars? Holy crap! Oh, that's the thing. It's like theater. You know, the, you know, they don't care anymore if it, if it plays for three months or four months. It's like what happens the first three weeks, and then 
it's it. Oh, I, yeah. The, Opening um, day or nothing. Right. Again, the AMC near me had uh, 1917 in the uh, Dolby, Dolby, Dolby Cinema. Cinema. Yeah. For what? A week and a half, two weeks tops. It's already moved out of there, so Bad Boys for Life can move in. Now, exactly, yeesh, right? Yeah. Um, thanks. At least it's still in the IMAX theater. Right. Like, come on, man. Right. right, right. You know, like you said, these movies, they don't have the... I mean, Star Wars was in the theater for like a full year <laughs> in 1977. <laughs> I, um, I had some friends that owned a movie theater in Newington. It was like 99 cents all day. And oh, that, 500 that place seats. is great. Right, yeah. it was great. And uh, I, I, I asked him one time, I asked him, they go, hey, you know, what... Movie did you guys have when because it was a second run theater? What movie did you guys have that played the longest? And he was ET, they had it for six weeks. Now, this is in second run, and he said it was almost sold out every single showing. Wow, yeah, that doesn't happen. I mean, obviously, it doesn't happen anymore, but it's it's a, you know, when uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark came out, the cinema down here in Walling for 99 cents called Center Cinema. I went 14 weeks in a row on a Saturday, every Saturday, I'd meet my friend Jason there. And I watched that movie 14 weeks in a row wow. yeah. in that theater. And that yeah. was a second-run theater. Right. And, and right. I grew up in, uh, in Delaware, and there was a, the Chestnut Hill Twin Cinema, two, two theaters. Star Wars came out. We went to see it. The, I was a paper boy, so the, the news journal brought all the paper boys in to, as a treat to show us. We got some prizes, and the movie played, and it was like, wow, you know, just watching it. That movie played for 54 weeks straight. Yeah, a year. Right. Yeah, it used to right. be out for like a year. Yeah. I remember um, you and I, I don't know if, Meriden Twin was around when you were oh, younger, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that was, I used to pack a brown bag lunch, and my mom would drop me off there for the first matinee around one, and I would sit there for three showings, or I'd Whoa. go to the, right. or I'd get up and go into the other side, you know, I'd go like, oh, you know, Superman, Superman 2, and then I'd go over there and watch Cannonball Run, and then come back in for Superman again. And then she'd pick me up. And, you know, those days are gone. We used to walk yeah. Yeah. all the way across town yeah. and go to these movies all day long. Yeah. It's, it's just I, it's a different experience. Yeah. When, I was in, when I was in college, I had a very rough time the first two years in college. It was, I didn't do very well. And I spent some time in Waterbury going at one of the branches. And there was the, I used to call it Nogapuke Valley Mall. Um, and they had the cinemas in there, four theaters. And I would just cut school all day. And my, my routine was to get mozzarella and Carosa or get um, Baskin Robbins, you know, brownie sundae. And then I would go to the movies. And I'd, I'd do that. And I felt like such a criminal because I never really did anything <laughs> wrong. I'd pay for one ticket in a matinee. And then I'd just kind of sneak around to the yeah. different movies for like, like the time I was supposed to be in school from like noon to five. There's it nothing so wrong good. with cutting school for the cinema. No. No, I totally agree. <laughs> I did, Learning I, at the School of Cinema. I did a little research on this. The last movie to stay in the theaters for just about a year was My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yeah, that was to this. a huge hit. It was a huge hit. It stayed in the top. It never hit number one, but it was in the top ten for almost a year, and it was in theaters for just about a year. Wow. Now, that's amazing. That. It's like That was, what, about 2003-ish? So almost 20 years ago yeah. now, and I was yeah. like, I think that was the last time something like that did that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> what do you think of, uh, you know, um, it started with MoviePass, which a noble idea, poorly executed. Yeah. But now you've got like AMC rewards and you've got the Regal benefits or the uh, Cinemark and they all have their little membership plans now. So like, you know, the AMC is 20 bucks and you can go to three movies a week for free. Right. So you can see 12 movies a month for free. Now, for a $15 movie ticket, it pays for itself in a movie and a half. 
Um, you know, what do you think of those kind of ideas? I, you know, clearly the cinemas are trying gimmicks to get people in the cinema because with streaming services and these large TVs you have at home now in 4K at home, who the hell wants to go to a movie theater? Well, yeah. theaters have been have been doing gimmicks to get people into the theaters for, for decades. True, you know, 3D. 3, 3D, color, yeah. widescreen. And we're talking 3D way back Sense in the around. 50s. Smell-o-vision. 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 Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. And I'm not talking 3D like like there is now. I'm talking like, like the the blue and red glasses. Cinemascope and yep. 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 reclining seats. <laughs> exactly. Nachos. <laughs> but yeah, theaters are, are 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 have been have been struggling for decades to, to get people in there competing I, with new television. Media. But I think television. it's worse than ever now because of the quality of the televisions we're getting. I mean. You know, back when we were in the 70s, 80s, whatever, we had TV at home, but it was a little square freaking box. It was 480p. Right. And that was it. And most of us had a screen that was no bigger than 20 inches. Right. So going to the movies, it's like, wow. Right. But now you can kind of do that at home. I have a 110-inch screen and projector the at home. sound system. Right, and, right. And, and the, you can pause the movie and get up, you know. And, right. You know, drain the lizard or whatever. Drop a deuce. Whatever you got to do. <laughs> right. Killer. <laughs> So, you know, do you think these membership programs are a good idea? I've never used one, so I, I don't know. But you said poorly executed. Is this movie pass even still around? No. No, MoviePass is dead. It's it, went, dead. it went bankrupt really fast. I, so, I bought it. Alan idea. bought it. You bought yeah, it. Yeah, it was a good idea to think you go to as many movies as you want for one price. I paid like $85 the for the year. Right. And I figured I have to go see eight movies to pay for it. I, I did nine before it went out of business. Okay. I just made it. Um, I'm, I did the AMC thing recently because they gave me a free month to try it, so I tried it. And now I'm in month two, which I now have to pay for. So we'll see how long I keep it. Um, but I did find myself, oh, you know, I'm a little bored. I'll just go down there because you just walk in. You scan your little boop, you scan your barcode, and you yeah. go in. So, I usually, What's your favorite um, movie food of choice? Like, I, I bring dots. I like dots and Mike and Ike. Oh, uh, I will. <laughs> I get a sugar rush because I grab the, the largest icy I can get and the box of milk does and see you later. Oh, nice. Give me to my seat. I gotta say, uh, either either a large popcorn, you know, traditionally, or uh, or Reese's Pieces. Yeah, but let me let me I'm rephrase a, my question. I'm not asking what you get at the movies, motherfuckers. <laughs> I want to know what you smuggle into that shit. Oh, I don't smuggle. I don't smuggle anything. anything I, don't smuggle. I used to smuggle. I, don't, I can't get dots in the movie theater. No, no, I don't smuggle anything. In. I no, buy it in. I am about as boring and a traditionalist yeah, as you get. Me I too. get popcorn and a soda, and I don't really like to drink soda, but I get a soda. And here's what's no, worse, though: the butter your own popcorn machine <laughs> oh, is. Come on going to cause premature death in me by about 20 years. <laughs> because I have put the bag on the ground and at the end of the movie I pick it up and there's an oil slick <laughs> on the ground. And I don't Jeez. feel very good. Because yeah. I I I, I'm drinking WD-40 or something. My you know? favorite thing is when you get to salt your own popcorn. Well, they did that too. They get the, the, the whole thing, man. And free refills if you're a member. You know, yeah, just what I need. So, I think... I think Fathom Events does a great job. Fathom Events is great. With what they do, because a few years back, we went to go see The Breakfast Club. And what's great about that is like, we walk into the theater, and it's sold out. It's sold out. And you, I just did a scan of the room and looked, and it was a mixture of all different ages there, which was great, because you see teenagers there. You see people our age, maybe a little bit older, maybe a little yeah. bit younger. And it's yeah. like, this is great. This is what 
theaters need to do more of I love Fathom stuff. events. And the people there want to be in the theater. They're not going to be the kind of people. Right, because it's, exactly. it's, it's exactly. you know, they show it like one or two nights only. And that's, right. It's right. an event. Right. It's an event. They, they yeah. appreciate the theater going experience. That's right. why it's not called Fathom Movies. It's called Fathom Events. Exactly. Uh, which is why I like going to know? which is like going to Cine Studio too, because when you go to Cine Studio in, in Trinity Campus in Hartford, again people go there to see the movie, right? You know, and it's it's wonderful. Which segues perfectly to what I was going to say is one of my fondest theater going experiences of recent times is when you and I went to New York to see the 70 millimeter screening of Hateful Eight. Yeah, that was great. And it was an old theater, and we couldn't bring food into the into the auditorium. Right, and, and there was you know. Besides having that experience, the film had an overture and it had an intermission, and it right. was just cool. a classic cinema experience. Exactly. That, yeah. I mean, a whole nother topic, but drive-ins. Oh, oh yeah, baby. Yeah. Drive-ins. Jaws every year, Sullington Drive-in. We're yeah. getting ready again. Come June. I mean, I never liked the drive. I never liked the drive-in because I can never see. But that's. But you can romanticize it now because it's gone. Yeah, not so much. But I did like going to the. Uh, yeah, I did like going to the mm. intermission. What's it called? Where you go in the, intermission the, to get food? Let's all go to the lobby. Lobby? Yeah. 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 Food stand, whatever. Yeah. I, I was enjoyed that part. I just like being it. outside on a nice summer night with, with people we love. Every single human being on the property quoting along with the movie. Right. Which right. sometimes, I know the time is up, but sometimes having a rowdy crowd is actually a good part of the theater experience. Like I saw snake, snakes on a plane, and every single person, it was like Mystery Science Theater, and that actually helped make the movie. Well, every year that. we go to Jaws, and people are just... And everybody's screaming at the... And then the, the minute the, the shark explodes, all the cars start up and the headlights turn on. That's the worst part. That's not over yet. Right, exactly. It's not over yet. All right, let's come back with segment three. What are we going to talk about? Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino. We're going to talk about Tarantino movies. All right. It was the three-legged dog of comics. It was bad. These two gentlemen met in jail, and then when they got out, they started publishing. It should have been mobsters instead of doing what they're doing in comics. Management there was questionable at times. Some of it has to do with people who go to jail. We are sinners. We have corrupted the youth. Stuff that should never have been sold to kids. And then there was Charlton. I couldn't quite tell what they were doing. Charlton was just a hodgepodge of weird titles. What is this? Who am I dealing with? John threw nickels around like they were manhole covers. See, T-A-P. They were cheap. Hell yes, they're cheap. They were a special kind of special is what they were. Critic was horrible. You could smell them beginning to decay even as they were rolling off the press. At one point, they actually did have to move the comics operation into a bowling alley. It's something out of a sitcom. We want to publish comic books in the worst way, and they did. It's been called the street fighting cousin of Marvel and DC. Maybe you've heard of them. Probably not. But you do know the industry legends that called it home. This is Charlton Comics. Follow at charltonmovie.com. Oh, it's going to suck. So did you have pizza? Yeah, how was your pizza? I had a personal sized uh, pepperoni and meatball over here at, at Eastside Pizza. It was absolutely delicious. <laughs> that was it's the sauce, man. The sauce is awesome. Sauce is boss? Is that what you yeah, say? Yeah, sauce is boss. The food here really is good at Eastside. So uh, we're going to talk about um, Tarantino movies. And I have to, you know, be you know, up front. I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of the movies. I, I haven't seen a lot of Tarantino movies because I saw a couple... And I just wasn't really, I don't know. It's just me. I realize I'm the minority. Not a fan. Oh, well, we decided to do this topic real quick for this uh, last segment because 
Tarantino doesn't put out a movie very often. He spends a lot of time writing and, and putting the things together. You can tell how much time he spends on these things. So we got one this year, and it might be one of his best, if not the best. So we're going we're gonna to do that. So we're going to count down our top five uh, of Tarantino films. He's got nine, ten with the two-parter. So um, we'll start with Angelo because he's the biggest Tarantino fan I know. Yeah. So at... Five for me, I'm going to put Kill Bill together because they were technically supposed to be one film, but he had shot so much of it with the script, he shot the entire script, that they had to split it in two. So I'm going to actually just go put the two of them together. The reason why I put it number five, or at least in the top five for me, is because I just love how he just incorporates different genre and different genres of filmmaking in this particular film. You got Spaghetti Western, you got... You know, this black and white, you know, rear screen effects going on. You know, the cast is great. The script is really good. Um, and I'm a fan of, you know, that kind of uh, uh, filmmaking when it comes to the, the kung fu stuff. Uh, going back to the 70s, he pays great homage to Bruce Lee with Uma Thurman's suit in the film. Um, you know, I put that at number five for, my, for, for his list, my list of his films. And you were, you were telling us the story about how... You know, you wanted to go see something completely different. Oh, well, well yeah. Somebody had posted a, a, a question on Twitter the other day about which movie you had heard about. and Knew nothing about it. Knew nothing about it, but you just heard that people were liking it. You got to go see it. And that was Pulp Fiction for me. And, uh, you know, I had seen it about maybe 10 times in the theater, and I brought somebody new every single time when they were summarily, each summarily was blown away by the film. I was one of them. Yeah. So in, I think you'd already seen it when you brought me. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. A, a couple of times at that <laughs> point, I think, anyway. So, yeah. So, um, so it was Pulp Fiction for me, and ever since then, it's, you know, I, I saw it at Reservoir Dogs prior to that, and he had done um, scripts for True Romance, True Romance, which is great, and, you know, Natural Born Killers, I'd only mm. seen that once or twice, I have to go and revisit it at some point. But, uh, and ever since then, he's just, you know, surprised me every single time I've been to the movie theaters to see one of his movies, so. Well, everyone knows that he's like a walking uh, film library. Uh, you know, he's just like, he's got the most knowledge of, of film probably of anybody alive. So uh, you can see where he takes his inspiration from. He Absolutely. just pulls it from all over the place and kind of puts it in a blender. And then you get his stylized version of of that. Paul, number five for you. You know, I was going to say Django on that one. Hello, how are you? Yeah. But uh, the editing on that, that was a movie that should have been cut down. Which one? Django. 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 It just should have been cut down another 30 minutes. The ending was far, you know. But so I put down Jackie Brown because the acting was awesome. And uh, I liked Robert De Niro's hairdo. Jackie Brown is, um, it's, that's a weird movie in his library because it's the one that was like the most ordinary if you will or commercialized I agree. Um, so a lot of like diehard Quentin Tarantino fans didn't think it was auteur enough you know it wasn't it wasn't him it seemed like it had too much studio influence on it and then a lot of people don't really like it I love that movie there is and Pam Greer come on yeah, all, all of them were great in that movie. Yeah, they all were great. They you all know, that were. was another thing. The act even though like um, you know, DiCaprio was DiCaprio was great in you know uh, Oh in Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. No, no. And he DiCaprio was in you know, Oh Django. Django. Yeah, he, was yeah, in, yeah. he was great yeah. in that. All of them were great in that movie. It was just that would be up there if it wasn't for the fact that it was just so long. I was like, no, they could have they could have blew up that plantation half an hour ago. That's you true. Did. Well, Jackie Brown was going to be my five, but since you took it as five, 
Oh, shit. Sorry. I'll use Django. <laughs> Whoa, he kicked my ass. <laughs> Since you didn't use Django. All right. I'll use Django as my number five. All right. uh, I think uh, Bob Richardson's cinematography is gorgeous in that film. The, like you said, the performance is DiCaprio is about as slimy, oh evil. Like he's about as bad as it gets. He was. And, but only topped by Samuel L. Jackson, oh who, who is about as gross selling out his people yeah. as you can get to live in the, oh, to live in the, on the plantation. Yeah. Um, and to me, it's part of this new Quentin Tarantino. I, it seems like after he made Death Proof, he turned this corner and he's made a series of timepieces that are fairy tales. The, the, the little Twilight Zone final act where, you know, in Bastards, they, the Jews kill the Nazis. In Django, he burns down the plantation. And, you know, so you're getting this, this alternate reality, these what-if films, if you will. So I really, you're right. The last half hour, you get the cartoon violence that he's known for. Right. Goes on maybe a little too long. But for me, it didn't bother me personally. I love the film. Uh, so that'll be my number five. I like it. I still, I mean, you know, great movie too. Yeah. You know, the part where, you know, they hit the, the first time they were Klansmen. My wife made these. No, right, 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 right. Right, 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 right. That was hilarious. <laughs> so George, so George and, is, uh, Angela rather, is, uh, he got called to duty. It's getting busy in the pizza place now. Here he comes. And, uh, He's oh, coming okay. back. I was gonna All right, he already said, so we should go to number four? Okay. Was, yeah, we're not number four. I was about to introduce number four, and I, I got yes. a little synopsis of your number four. So when you announce it, I'll read your little synopsis really quickly. Okay, so number four for me would be Inglorious Bastards. Uh, oh, I went the wrong nope, way. Nope, I'm going, yeah, I'm going <laughs> this way. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> I so, thought it was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I was going to read, it's a 2019 comedy drama film written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> No, Inglourious Bastards, you know, the opening scene, which lasts about 20 minutes of the film, is just this master class of suspense. And then, you know, halfway through the film with the, uh, the La Louisiane scene in the bar is just in like... In the basement. Yeah, oh. in the basement. It's so nerve-wracking. Just those two scenes alone is like, is cinematic, you know, like... Also bliss. the scene where she has the, the breakfast with Christoph Waltz and she's eating the... He's eating the, the pastry. Yeah. yeah. And, and she's sitting there at the table like, does he know? Yeah. You know the entire film know? seems yeah. to be What's this it? tense. What is it? What's the pastry? I don't remember. I've, I haven't seen that movie in probably eight or nine years. Yeah, I think it, it may have been... Like uh, it might have No, it might have been Apple Strudel, I it think. It was something. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. You said, does he know? And I thought you were like no, saying, no. does he know what's... No, does he know that she's a spy? <laughs> you're like, yeah. Apple Strudel. She's a spy. Gaslock was awesome in that. Oh, well, what... He, Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, he totally. was. Totally. Christoph Waltz. Like and that's the face. first time we ever saw that's Christoph right. Waltz. He's the new face. And I was like, this guy is awesome. You know what? He reminded me of Roy Scheider in a bit, in a way. And he, and he even has the same. You know, Roy Scheider always didn't seem like he was acting, that he was just a guy. Right. He could be the guy who lived next door or across the street. And he was just in this movie. Yeah. And that's kind of how Christoph Waltz comes across. He me. has that pleasant little smile. Absolutely. Which that was little devious. And that yes. opening scene when he's in that guy's house and they're hiding in the basement. Uh, so oh. two points of interest. First, did you know that Bastards is spelled with an E? Yes. Glorious Bastards. Yes. Right. And the second, did you know that the script for this was written in 1998? For Inglorious Bastards, written in 1998. But he was having trouble with it, so they worked on Kill Bill first. Did you know that? No, I did not. Yeah. But did you know that this is 
somewhat of a remake. There was number one was I think in the was that mid seventies or early seventies. Glorious Bastards. 1978. There it is. All right. So there was another one. What's your number Enzo four? Enzo Castellari's. Yes. Marconi, macaroni combat film. He was nutty. Well, it's like a spaghetti western, only it's macaroni combat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cheesy. Cheesy Italian That's cinema. Pete. Say that again, Pete. It's extra cheesy. <laughs> we are at the pizza place. I'm starting to feel a little loose, guys, so let's hurry this up. Yeah. Uh-oh. All right. So what's up? Well, my number, number four, four Yeah. is hate. Um, number four. Wow. Hateful Eight. Oh, Hateful Eight? Hateful Eight. I put it number four, even though because my nuts are, I think, just as good, if not better. Well, Hateful Eight. To me, Hateful Eight is... Um, it's like a stage play. Yeah, of course. It's like an Agatha Christie stage play. And probably, to me anyway, I don't know if you agree or not, of all the Quentin Tarantino films, has the most brilliant dialogue I'm with ever. You up there. And it had to be because you've got eight people locked in a room so for, for three hours. Always talking. Yeah. It was just, you couldn't take your eyes off it. Again, Bob Richardson, the cinematography, and the way they moved the camera. And, you know, a lot of people ripped on him for doing the 70 millimeter, uh, you know, widescreen for that, right. CinemaScope widescreen for that. And Tarantino said he had to do that because of the, because of the confines of where they were, they kind of needed that, the blocking where they had to put all these people and they needed all that screen real estate to do that. So, uh, no, I love Hateful Eight. And once again, the acting, Tarantino gets his people, his crew, as you know, you know, you look at the guys who is in there. You know, Madsen, Madsen and, and uh, Kurt Russell's part of his crew the now. Tim Roth and yeah. yeah, yeah. Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, to me, Walt Goggins steals the movie. I love Walt Goggins. Yeah. How about you, Keith? What's number four? My my number four, um, probably Pulp Fiction. Um, I know it's his Ooh. magnum opus, and a lot of people would be mad at me for calling it the number four. Um, I just like his more recent stuff. I think it's a little more, um, it's a little more mature in a way. And, and the cinematography with when, once he landed Robert Richardson just jumped to a whole new level. Pulp Fiction still has that independent film grime all over it. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, um, I just think- You have a more refined- I, I, Well, I just like his newer stuff. I like these, these fairy tale what if movies a little bit better so i'm a big fan of period pieces probably that's why number three i'm gonna have to go with jackie brown on this one um a 1997 american black exploitation yeah uh you know tarantino uh bought the rights to rum punch by elmore leonard and he completely flipped it around he he turned uh, jackie burke which is the character of the, of the book to jackie brown because he wanted pam greer which is She's phenomenal in the Ooh, film, yeah. and you know he's—it's he's, just a love letter to you know to L.A. to black exploitation to having Pam Greer in the film. Sam Jackson is, I think, is one of my favorite performances as Ordell Rowe, and you know in the film he's just you know flat out amazing. And, and Robert De Niro's—people keep forgetting that he's in the film and he's great in the film. You know he's just there and it's it's he's awesome in the movie you know struggling with his addictions yeah so <laughs> and uh so i would have to put jackie brown for me as Good my choice. third pick pablo and where, where are we now Up three. To three three i mean we already talked about it I'm, I'm going pulp fiction number three because of what you said when it first came out yeah we were like holy cow yeah. travolta's 
bag, you know, the Phoenix. Right, right. That's I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, he saved right. Travolta's career. Yeah. Right? Even though I think Samuel L. Jackson was better. He, he should have yeah. been up for Oh, well, he it. stole the movie. I think so. Absolutely. They but, were both up for awards, and neither of them got anything so yeah. for it. But, yeah. Pardon you know. me while I Kiss the take sky. this oh. beverage to wash this down. <laughs> 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 it's uh, me? Yes. My turn? My number three is the, uh, the, the one and only original Reservoir Dogs. Um, you know, that one, uh, who can't get enough of that? Who can't? I mean, just putting Steve Buscemi in it alone. I, I gotta be Mr. Pink. Um, I just think it was brilliant. It was the nonlinear storytelling. Um, I know it's supposed to be a knockoff of some Hong Kong mobster thing, but uh, to me, it was a completely original work. Absolutely. And, and it's it's a movie I never get tired of. And and what I like about it too is it it was the, the it it set the tone with Tarantino and his love of, of obscure musical cues. Um, you know, pulling back old classic rock songs or old weird surf guitar songs and just integrating them into the soundtrack. And it's something he would be yeah. known for for the rest of his career. Yeah. I remember when he did the Django comics a few years ago, he would put in the back of the comic book what songs to listen to for which pages of the book you're reading. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, he scored the comic book. Yeah. So uh, it's brilliant. Reservoir Dogs is my number three. Awesome. It says here that... Um, Reservoir Dogs was, by, according to Tarantino, was influenced by Stanley Kubrick's The Killing. Oh, and, the, okay. and The Killing is a great film. If any of you guys have ever seen it, oh, seek I it did. out. Criterion released a Blu-ray of, of it a few years ago. It's phenomenal. The Killing is a great movie. And Sterling I, Hayden. What I really love, too, is the, uh, yes. the little twist at the end of Pulp Fiction, uh, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, where you're trying to figure out the whole time who the snitch is, and it's the, the one you least suspect. Right. Mr. Well, we shouldn't give it away. No, don't right. give it away. Yeah. Some people no. might not have seen it. Yeah. Number two, Angelo. Number two for me, and Keith and I have talked about this because every time, I've, I've only seen it three times, but every time I watch it, it gets better and better is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's just this, you know, his love letter to, you know, f to movies about making movies, and, uh, and uh I was fortunate enough over the summer to go to New York to go see it at the same theater, the Village East, to see it in 70mm, and it was just, it was amazing. It yeah. was amazing. And, and I've seen it, you know, once again, you know, on home video and uh, on, on, on Blu-ray, and every time I watch it, it's like, this movie just keeps getting better, better and, and better. better. It really is. It's, it's just a great... It, Brad Pitt, I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt are both great, but Brad Pitt, for me, he's just, a, he's just he almost steals the film. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, there's not much more you can say about about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, just you could you could watch it with the sound off and just stare at the imagery. It's, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, like you said. I agree with you, Keith. Once Robert Richardson came on board as his DP, it's just like yeah, whoosh, yeah. Know. Paul, your number two. My number two is going to be Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. It was an art house movie in a way. I remember seeing it at the York. I went down there. And when I hear Steelers' wheels now, I just want to get that razor out. <laughs> I want to find what that What does that air. mean? What, <clears throat> you're going to have to watch no, it. No, you, you have to watch it. Yeah. That's yes. not how it works, Alan. I'm sorry. Yeah. Stuck, in Stuck in the middle in with you. you. Stuck in the you middle will, with you. You'll never movie. forget the scene that that... And that song will take on a completely new meaning for you every time you hear it. <laughs> and of course... It's not about puppies, I take it. I'm not even going to let you know. Okay. You're going to have to read my mind. And I also loved the little green bag in the beginning from the George Baker Trio. I've always loved that song back in the 60s, the beginning with the slow motion walking with those guys. You went, yeah. I got to get a skinny black tie. 
I gotta get it now. Yep. So that's my number two. My number two is Hateful Eight. Well, I can't believe Great. it. Yeah, um, I'm a fan of compelling dialogue. I'm a fan of interesting characters. And that was a, uh, a, a Petri dish <laughs> All right. of interesting people and interesting dialogue and interesting situations that kept getting turned around and turned around and turned around. And I think one of my favorite performances from, well, the score, he's playing the score. The score is incredible. But, um, oh, that's not the score from That's the Lou Reed back. Yeah, I, yeah. I thought it was, was going to be the uh, Hateful Eight intro. Oh, and um, Ian Marconi's score, yeah, is, score is wonderful, yeah. Just haunting. It in, was haunting, especially with the scenes of the and when we saw it, the overture, like immediately, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like the, just the, before the movie started, they played the overture, and I was like, "Oh my god, the music's freaking awesome!" Yeah. All right, I'll watch um, this. Um, but um, I was going to say one of my favorite performances, the one that gets lost in all these big performances, and we talked about Walt Goggins saving the movie. Oh, it's it. it's Bob. Bob. I love Bob the Mexican. Oh, he was good. Yes. <laughs> oh, his name is Bob. Senor Bob. Yeah. 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 Senor Bob. 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 Hi, <laughs> pal. So now we come to our number one, which I have, I'm confused about mine, but go right ahead. Oh, mine is is Pulp Fiction. It's just uh, his his his, uh, his his breakthrough into you know into the world of cinema, and it, everyone was completely mental for it for when it came out in 1984. And for me, it's still everybody's great in the film, top to bottom. The cast is just pitch perfect. Uh, Sam Jackson again, even the gimp. <laughs> even gimp, the gimp. I love that gimp. Even the gimp. And uh, no, but Sam Jackson, to me, you know, I heard the story about when he read it, he kind of like, he put it down, he picked it up again, the, the script, and he read it again. And he's just like, what am I reading here? Yeah, this wait. is amazing, you know? And Well, you know, it deviated from the studio model right. so far. Yeah. And what's amazing about it, too, is from that point forward, he got to do whatever the hell he wanted to do. Right. Yeah. And he did, you know? And I love Sam Jackson's Afro wig. Oh, oh it's yeah. that greasy yeah. Afro. Oh, that Jules. was awesome. Jerry Crow, yeah. Yep. Don't put the race car in the red. My number got? one, of course, was Hollywood. Loved it. I had the acting in it was brilliant. Didn't like, and I'm going to hear from the, the last five minutes, they should have left it to where the, he's walking down the street with the dog, the car's coming up the driveway. I'm not going to say anything more in case you didn't see it. That's where it should have ended. Uh, see, I, again, I like the alternate history that they went, they chose to go into the other house and paid the price. Right. And, right. and yeah. yeah. And to me, it was a Tarantino saying, you know, Sharon Tate surviving that night, maybe Hollywood doesn't disintegrate into what it disintegrated into. I don't know. You know, that was his, that was his love letter to old Hollywood. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with Keith on that. Yep. Well, I'll take it. Where I'll turn the movie off right five minutes. <laughs> so I, I, I have this wrestling match between Hollywood and Inglorious Bastards is my favorite. And I don't know which one to take. It just goes back and Here forth and when back and forth. When you go home at night and you're tired, what do you grab and put on there? Hollywood. There it is, me too. But I don't know if that's because it's brand new. Yeah. Or not. I, have a I don't it. know. They're both right there for me, and I, I I don't know. So it's a tie. It's a tie. All right, you can be a tie. I'm still going Hollywood, <laughs> even though the last five minutes is woo, 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 the three stooges. Well, the last five minutes of Bastards is the same way. I mean, they well, put, I didn't got that. Put, I don't put a thousand bullets in Adolf Hitler's face. Yeah. yeah. But I don't so. have that on my list. <laughs> Even though that was great acting in that movie. Yeah. I mean, one thing about Tarantino, he gets the best out of his actor. Oh, he yeah. Does. And does. Alan has some homework to do. Yes, he does. Yeah. Yes. All right, I guess we got to wrap this up. This is the wrap end of it up. Just one more time. In 
Hateful Eight, the girl. Who's the girl in that? Oh yeah. Oh Jennifer Jason Leigh. Jennifer Jason Leigh. Fun- yeah, yeah, she's yeah, Daisy, she's, yeah, she's Daisy great. Domergue. Yeah. Yeah. What the hell's Domergue? <laughs> if you get to see her in this, you will, you will love her except for her teeth. <laughs> or lack thereof. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up for uh, Paul and Angelo and Pedro. Who's sliding into Alan's spot? And Alan, I'm just gonna... here because uh, uh, Alan stepped out and to <laughs> use the little engineer's room. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be it for us. We will uh, catch you around at the theaters. <laughs>